Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Attempt tonight, uh, don't know how far I'll get into this, but I want to teach a lesson for the next couple of weeks, two or three weeks on uh, the book of Hebrews. I want to cover the book of Hebrews, but from a very uh, specific point of view, it won't be so uh, historical or uh, analytical. It will be with uh, kind of a preconceived focus going into the book of Hebrews. And uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about that, and I'll, I'll give you what I'm going to talk about in just a moment. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, <clears throat> beginning at verse number 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Everybody say appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, everybody say by himself, purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. And I'm going to talk to you tonight, I'm going to teach for a little while on the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk about key to absolute victory. That's going to be, as we go through the book of Hebrews the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the key to absolute victory. How many of you want absolute victory? I don't know about you, but I want definitive, complete, total, secured victory in living for and you can have victory in living for God it's not the will of God to be uh, to be without victory amen and so I'm going to teach on this don't know how far we're going to get into it tonight amen but I want to talk about the book of Hebrews key to absolute victory let's pray Jesus we thank you for your word we thank you for your great presence that we feel in this place and I pray that you would touch each and every one of us Lord I pray you would touch those that are in this room and the many that are watching online or listening on the podcast, I pray that you would strengthen them right now. For those that are that are in their time of sickness and affliction, we pray that you would raise them up. For those that are traveling or on their vacations, we pray that you would protect them and, and give them strength and refreshment. But Lord, speak a word through, through us and to us tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated. Praise God. I don't know how long my voice is going to hold up tonight, and and this is just the way it is. It's been a few weeks since I've been able to preach, and uh, when you use your voice as much as I do, if you even go uh, more than just 10 days without using it uh, strenuously, it goes away very quickly, and so I'm I'm on about three and a half weeks of not really having pushed my voice, so... Uh, I'm going to try to hold on to get through tonight. I still got tomorrow night, and I need to get through Friday night. And then Sunday, we'll just strip out all the gears, amen, and just have blowout church, amen. Amen. I want to talk about the key, the key to absolute victory. I want absolute victory in my life. I want want absolute victory in every facet of my life, amen. Uh, I'm not going to so much analytically talk about the book of Hebrews, meaning I'm not going to go through its historical context. I'm not going to uh, go through its place as far as history goes. Uh, but my, my overview is to talk through the book of Hebrews of how to have absolute victory in our life. 
And we believe that most likely the writer of Hebrews was the Apostle Paul. He wrote this to the Hebrew people. He wrote this to those that were converted from Judaism. That was uh, the law of Moses, living under the religion of the law of Moses, Israelites, Jews, Hebrews. He was writing to them. And he was writing to them of an understanding of who Jesus is based on their understanding of who God is through the Torah, through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and understanding through the law of Moses and their understanding of thousands of years of Torahic or, or, or biblical history. They know who God is. First and foremost, they know that God is one. And every revelation of God must flow from that revelation that there is one God. Amen. And so he's writing to them because their understanding of God is going to be vastly different than the understanding of God for a Gentile or a non-Jewish person, a person that was either heathenistic, paganistic, um, or atheistic, believed in no God, believed in many gods, or believed in some kind of a, uh, a pagan form of, of vile worship. So to write to the Corinthian church, as you see in 1-2 Corinthians, versus the book of Hebrews, uh, it, it almost seems like two different writers, but it is the same writer. He's just dealing with them on their level. I'm glad God can deal with me on my level. I'm glad God doesn't deal with me like he deals with you. And he doesn't deal with you like he deals with me. He's an individual God. He's a personal God. Now, he has the same standard for us all. There's only one way to be saved. We all got to be saved that way. But at the same time, he will relate it to us in a way that our understanding can, can, can comprehend what he's trying to speak to us. This is what Paul meant when Paul said, I became all things to all men that by all means I might win some. Uh, been very misunderstood and mistranslated and interpreted uh, rather in the last 25, 30 years of Christianity, loosely saying Christianity, because there are those that would say, well, I need to drink a beer with a sinner to win the sinner because i got to become all things. I've got to smoke dope with a dope head so that I can reach them, right? I, you know, I've, I've, I've got I've, I've to hook up with a prostitute so that I can win them. Well, that's how Jimmy Swagger tried anyway. <laughs> Some of you that are older know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't win them like that. That's not what Paul said. He does, you don't become like them to win them. He said, I became all things to all men. In other words, I reached them at their understanding. The Bible said that there was a, 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 some, a eunuch from Samaria, or from Ethiopia, rather, in the book of Acts, and he was reading out of the Torah. He was reading out of the Pentateuch. He was reading the law of Moses. And the Bible said that God translated Philip, one of the apostles, and translated. You remember this story? He picks him up and translates him into the middle of the desert, and all of a sudden Philip's walking beside the chariot. Remember that? And he looks up at him, and he, and he basically, this is my translation of what happened. It's what happened. I'm just going to word it a little more modern. Uh, he, he says, hey, what you reading there? He goes, man, this is some good stuff. He said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, what I, can I think? I, how, how can I understand? Man, this is some crazy stuff. He didn't know who Jehovah was. So to this brilliant Ethiopian man, he could not comprehend God's word. He said, how could I understand this unless somebody shows me what it means? And the Bible said that Philip began at that same scripture and taught Jesus to him. Does that make sense? So what Paul said was the same thing. I'm not going to speak to an Ethiopian who doesn't understand God in the same way I'm going to speak to an Israelite who does understand God. Amen? You, you, you don't go into a first grade class and start teaching trigonometry because they, those kids can count to 100. They have an understanding of how to count, but they have no revelation of how to operate. So he, in Corinthians, is dealing with a very kindergarten, first grade understanding of the very basics of God. That's why in Corinthians, he's having to clean up a lot of stuff. 
he basically writes and says, my name is Paul, y'all are nuts. And he, and he spends almost two books just smacking them around. Pow, pow, pow. And it's, I mean, it's kind of brutal. Now, he drops some nuggets in there, and at the end of it, he's like, okay, now I need to kind of bandage up some wounds here and put some salve and oil on and uh, kind of help you heal from some of the things I said. But basically, you, you people have, you have incredible gifting, but you have very little wisdom, right? And so now he, you see in contrast, he goes to the book of Hebrews, and he is writing to a people who have incredible understanding but are highly suspicious of anything new when it comes to God. So they have <clears throat> been baptized in Jesus' name. They've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. All right? They understand that. But now they are struggling. How do I relate my newfound walk with God based on what I grew up knowing and what my family has lived for hundreds and even thousands of years. Do I now abandon everything I know of God and follow after this Jesus movement, this new upstart movement, or, or is there some kind of relation to this? So when we get in the book of Hebrews, understand the key to total victory. Understand the people to whom he is writing because in some ways it sounds like he's writing to kindergarten understanding of God. And then other parts, your brain is like a Rubik's Cube flipping around everywhere trying to figure, what is he talking about? We'd Melchizedek and what's he talking about over here and foundations and again and and law of this, and he didn't write like that to Ephesus or Galatia. He didn't write like that to Corinth. He didn't even write like that to Timothy or Titus or Philemon. But he wrote like that to the Hebrews because they had a deeper understanding of the root system. Does this make sense? It's 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 important you know this moving forward. Very important. Because this parallel is the last parallel I'll make, and then I'll, I'll, I'll try to uh, get the get the boat off the off the trailer and get it in the water here. Uh, Paul said that that we are we as believers, we as believers on Christ, we are a new vine grafted into an old root system. How many's ever seen grafting done? Isn't that a, isn't that a really cool thing? Uh, they do this in, in with wine. Uh, not not that I drink it or anything, but my wife grew up in Napa Valley, and I've, I've seen it. We lived there. And uh, what they'll do is the, the roots are very important. I'm going to tell you something. It costs a lot of money to rip up a vineyard and plant a new one. You, you lose, and, and I'm, I don't even know what they call What do they call the wine people that go to college for that? I can't remember what it's called. Winologist. Huh? Vineology, winology, um, hoity-toity-ology. Whatever it is, uh, it, it, when you when you count the cost of that, of ripping up a, an old because the the grapes are not producing, brother Ricardo, to to what they're wanting, they're not sweet enough, they're too bitter, they're too sweet, uh, they're, they're, the the shape, the deformity, sometimes an infection gets in there, a disease, and so rather than rip up the root system, which would take, if I if my math is or my memory serves me correct. It's anywhere between three to five years from planting a new vine until they can get a first crop yield, which typically they don't harvest the first crop because it's, it's wild, okay? It's not very good taste. Does this make sense? I know I'm kind of, I'm trying to get you to understand Hebrews for a moment. And so rather than rip all of that up, because it's so costly, what they will do is they will go to the portions of the, of the, of the vine and they will go in and they'll cut out. They'll cut away the branches that are deformed, diseased, or not productive. And then they will graft into the vine and the, that's connected in the root system. They will put in young or new grapes, new grapevines or branches, and they'll graft it in there. It's, it's an amazing science. They've been doing this for thousands of years. We think it's cool and new. Now, 
they've got more technology to, to kind of hybrid grapes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Now we've got hybrid tomatoes and hybrid watermelons. And I'm just going to say, I don't think watermelons without seed taste as good as the watermelons that do have seed. That's just my opinion. <laughs> all this newfangled technology. You woke somebody up, been dead 30 years, and give them a slice of watermelon, didn't have big old black seeds in it, they think you was poisoning them. That's the way they, hybrid crossbreeding and grafting, that's how they do this. Now, now watch this. That branch is now going to yield productive fruit. And it's not going to take all that time. You don't have to regrow a new vine in a root system. It's able to connect what has already been there, what's already been established, and go off of that. And because of that, there are vineyards in France that have been growing grapes for hundreds of years because they never lost the root system. Through disease, through famine, through storm, through drought, it didn't matter. They were able to tap in just when this is what we are as New Testament believers. We as Christians, we are not a new religion. Pentecostalism, being apostolic. This is not a new religion. We are grafted in to an ancient vine. We are the young branch. Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And hallelujah. In other words, Jesus said, I will connect you. Connect to me, and I will connect you to life-giving roots. Amen. You can't, plant, you can't plant a vine and it grow, or a branch and it grow. You, it has to be a vine. So we, and I'm almost done with this and, and backing the boat out of the trailer now. We're in good waters, okay? We are the new vine that has been grafted in. With the, we're the new branch that has been grafted into the old vine. The old vine, stay with me, the old vine is Judaism. The new branch is being apostolic or being a Christian, a New Testament believer. We are a part of something that's ancient. This is why the Bible says we are heirs and joint heirs. And wherefore, Paul writes, wherefore through the spirit of adoption, we cry Abba or Papa. This is because we have been adopted into the family of God with no distinction. God does not see us as a stepchild or an adopted child. He only sees us as his children. Just as you do not look at a vine that has new grafts in it after the next year, you can't tell which is the new branch or the old branch. We connect to an ancient system been established by God for thousands of years. Now, I'm going to break some news to you, all right? Hold on. Baptists are about 200 years old. Wesleyans, Methodists are about 200 years old. Episcopalians are about 400 years old. Catholics, about 1,700 years old. But our church goes all the way back to Abraham. It doesn't go back 2,000 years. It doesn't go back 3,000 years. It doesn't go back 4,000 years. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Amen. You want to know how to have absolute victory, you better, you better know where you came from. And so Paul is writing to them, and, and, and he is telling them that Jesus came and purged our sins by himself through the work of the cross. And, and most everyone who ever serves God goes no further than that understanding right there that Jesus saved us. We are very much aware of the work that Jesus did on earth and what Jesus did on Calvary. His blood is found throughout our hymnals, is found throughout our preaching as having been shed and spilled 
uh, both in his scourging and actual death on the cross. And we know how important it is for us to understand his death represented by his shed blood. We know that it saves our souls when nothing, absolutely nothing else could save us. But Jesus went on to something more after his death. The existence of Christ did not stop at Calvary, nor the resurrection or at Pentecost. The ministry of Jesus is still going today. His blood is involved in something other than being shed after his death. And, and it is that this state of Jesus Christ that he is presently in right now that thousands and even millions of Christians have never really come to understand and know as much as they know about his death and his shed blood on the cross. And to have absolute victory, you need to understand the present ministry of the blood of Christ. As a result, Christians are living, we are living with severely restricted awareness of everything to the point of only knowing his death to save us out of a highway of damnation and sin and to take us to heaven and live in glory forever after this life. And that's really basically all we know. I mean, we may know some little side points, but basically most Christians, that's all we know. Preaching that gets into anything more is really tuned out. To teach anything more, it's kind of it's superfluous. It's, it's a side issue. We don't, we don't want to hear that stuff. Uh, it's tuned out. It's regarded as something not to be concerned with. It's thought of as too deep. In other words, you know, pastor, I only got so much time. Don't, don't mess with my mind. I'm good with the whole blood stuff. I'm good with the Calvary stuff and the resurrection and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And let's just stop right there. You know, one preacher said, uh, uh, said that when you preach about Christ and glory, now, uh, now, when you preach about him now and seated in heaven uh, at the right hand of the throne, amen, most saints relegate that to something that they are not in interested in learning about. In other words, that's too far. I don't want to know about what, what, what relevance does that have to, tell me something to make me shout. Tell me something that what that, that's too deep of thinking. It's a Tuesday night. I've had a stressful day at work. I've had to put up with kids all day. I, I don't want to hear about this kind of stuff. They think it's too deep, and so we close ourselves off to it. But I'm going to ask you, uh, over the next few weeks, you need to open up your heart and your understanding because I believe you can get a revelation that will take you from being a victim to being a victor. We often stick to repeating over and over again. Uh, uh, people today just repeat over and over again uh, where they were when God saved them. Well, hallelujah. But where are you now? Where are you go? I know where you've been. Where are you going? I know what he did, but what's he doing? We know how a change occurred from being a sinner to being a saint. And we know that you're on your way to heaven. But we don't really talk about anything beyond that. The preacher that said the aforementioned statement also said that we're pretty selfish when we think like that. So few really hunger and crave. I want you to think about this. To enter into the rest of Hebrew, the rest that Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of that I'm going to get into in this Bible study. They don't strive to go on to perfection. We're just happy where he saved us from. But Hebrews tells us to go on unto perfection. Pastor, I'll never be perfect. You're right but it doesn't mean we don't strive for it. Amen. I'm glad the first time Sister Guadalupe cooked tacos, she didn't say, okay, this is good enough. She worked on that craft. She made them better and better and better until they are about as close to perfection as you'll get. Hardly no one runs the race with patience. No, we run the race, but we don't get a Hebrew's patience for the race. We're up and down all the time, 
And we don't mind getting on social media and telling everybody how up we are and how down we are. Because we're running. We're just not running with patience. I'm talking about a key to victory. They never learn of their attachment to Jesus Christ now and how they are living in the invisible kingdom that has more power, more glory, and more majesty than you could ever imagine. Let's be honest. Come on, I'm going to start with me. We're just selfish. Say, not me, pastor. You're the exact one I'm preaching to. So, Pastor, I need to talk with you afterwards because I don't think it's me. Talk to me in the altar then because we're going to pray. Amen. We all got flesh and we all fight with our selfish nature. People are generally in a hurry about everything. Right? Am I telling you all the truth? It's like I've told you before about the man who prayed for patience. Remember? He said, Lord, give me patience and give them to me right now in Jesus' name. It don't work like that. If you're going to learn, it takes patience. And it takes time. Hallelujah. It ain't no overnight thing. It takes patience. And it takes time. I, 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 my daughter, she'll get, she'll get a, an idea. I'm going to learn the piano. I said, we'll sit down five minutes. She's done. She'll say, Daddy, I learned a new song. And she's going to bong, bong. I'll just stop it. Yeah, that's not a song. And I was some of y'all thinking, oh, you need to tell her how pretty. It's not a song. It's horrible. She's just banging on keys. I'm not going to go along with a delusion. That's what's wrong with our world today. Boys say, I'm a girl. Girls say, I'm a boy. And we go along with their delusion. No, it's a mess. But if you'll be patient, honey, and you'll take some time, and you'll start out with twinkle, twinkle, little star. And baby shark, doop, doo, dee, doop, doop, doo, or whatever. Then eventually we'll move on. But you don't get to where Brother Lucas is until you learn to play with one finger first. But we're impatient. We don't have the time. You really have the time. You just don't have the priorities. I'm going to tell the truth and shame the devil tonight. Amen. We got the time. We don't have priorities right. You got, you got the time to watch Netflix. You got time to be on social media and YouTube. And if you got time to do that, then you got time to pray. And you got time to read your Bible. And, and, and you got, you, I'm hearing so many loud amens. You don't get it. This place is packed with angels, and they're amening me right now because they see y'all. And they see me. You, you, you got the time for the, but the time for the things of God. Because we want it instant. We, we want the gifting. We want the power. We want the glory. We want the victory. We want the triumph. But we don't want the struggle. I, I don't know if I've preached this message here. I, I, Brother uh, Roberto's translating in the back. I think he's translated this particular message for me on uh, three or four occasions. Matter of fact, I think when we were in Peru and we got stuck, uh, I was just so exhausted. And uh, one of the rare moments that I, I just didn't feel a, really a specific word for that service that night. And, I, and uh, Brother Roberto was trying to get the notes out of me what, so he can, you know, get ready to translate them. And I said, uh, well, Brother Roberto, what would you like to hear me preach tonight? And he goes, Pastor, would you preach the message on the beauty of the in-between? And I don't know if I preached that here or not. And I said, well, sure, because he's already translated a couple times. I don't know if he really wanted to hear it or it was just easy for him to translate. And so we preached it that night. Because we all struggle with Paul's dilemma. 
forgetting those things which are behind. I press toward. We shout about where we've been brought from and out of. And we shout about where we are going. But we forget to see the beauty of the in-between where I was and where I'm going. And that's where I am. We always want to be somewhere we're not. If you're going to live for God with victory in your life, and I'm going to start, we've circled the cove and we're going to head back into the ramp. If you're going to have any victory in living for God, you better learn to be where your feet are. Look down at your feet. Be where your feet are. Quit trying to be where your feet ain't. Okay? Quit getting frustrated that you are not somewhere your feet aren't located. If you'll start learning to live for God where your feet are, and you learn how to have victory here, you'll have victory there. Amen. I know this is just good old cornbread theology. But you've got to learn to be present. I'm, I'm, there is a power in being present. Showing up for the fight's half the battle. We won't send somebody else to do it. No. Be where your feet are. Uh, I use my daughter as an illustration. She's always wanting to drive. That's all we hear about. When I turn 16, I get my driver's license. I don't know what world she thinks she's in. I still, I can still let her or not let her get her driver's license. When I turn 18, and I've told her, you know, she has to do what I did. She can't date until she's 30, since that's what I did. So she says, when I turn 29, <laughs> hey, man. Oh, no, don't know. I got, we got married. I was 23 and she was 20. Don't, but don't tell my daughter that. She, she's always, when I'm in the fifth grade, when she was in fourth grade, and when she was in third grade, when I'm in the fourth grade, when she was in the second grade, when I'm in the third grade, when she was in preschool, when I'm in kindergarten, when she was in kindergarten, when I'm in first. Now she's in fifth, when I'm in sixth. Now she's 10, when I'm 11. She's already talking about being in the youth group. And I'm, I'm constantly telling her, Addison, be where your feet are, baby. Live your age. You don't even get to be. Now, I know what she's going through because I did the same thing. A lot of us did that, right? We saw the big kids. We wanted to be a big kid. We saw the, they got to drive a car, and we wanted to drive a car, and we drove a car, and it was more fun than we thought it was. Don't lie, it was fun. And then we looked at our friends that weren't living at home and meant, man, I can't wait to get out of this house. Then we get out of the house and we pay rent. And we go, man, I wish I was back home again. Man, I'm tired of paying this rent, this blasted insurance, and, and, and I got to put gas in my car, <laughs> right? Got, got to mow the yard. No wonder my dad was in a bad mood all the time. Amen. <laughs> He wasn't just where his feet was. He was stuck. Amen. <laughs> right? But we're all, there is a beauty in the in-between. Not where you were and not where you're going, but where you are. Because listen to me, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. God has made you for the moment you're in. Be present in the moment. The Bible says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered, directed, prescribed, destined, determined to be where they are. And our impatience and our displeasure where we are says to God, he messed up. Now, I know you don't got your hand on your hip and 
You're not cussing God out about where you are. That's not what I'm saying. But we can get an attitude where if God would only take our advice, we wouldn't do it this way. Amen. You ever been there? I have went to God and told him, hey, if you just step aside for 30 minutes, I'll fix everything. I'm telling you right now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You don't exactly, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about because every time we complain, we're telling God we'd be a better God. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I haven't even raised my voice. I feel the anointing. Because when we complain, what we are saying to God is, why don't you let me handle this for a little bit? I got a little something, something for him. Man, I'm telling you, if I was God 15 minutes, I'd be zapping people everywhere. Just zap, zap, zap. I'd fry them up like bacon, man, at Waffle House. Just zap, 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 zap. I'd be zapping people everywhere. I ain't kidding. I'd, 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 I'd be like old white herb. I'd just zap, 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 zap. Cut me off in traffic, zap. So you're a horrible person. No, 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 I'm not a horrible person. I'd be a horrible God. Right? There's a lot. I'd clear out a quarter of the population on this planet before God got done granting me the, the power. I just, man, I'd be getting rid of people that, you know, people that beat on kids. Man, I'd, man, I'd, zap, I'd zap them up so fast. You heard the kids? Ooh, I'd do what Jesus said. I wouldn't just tie your brick to your neck and throw you in the ocean. I'd zap you. Right? All these people that are, uh, you know, putting people into human trafficking. Are you kidding? I'd zap them up and have fun. I'd be taking selfies. I'd zap them up so fast, it'd make their head spin. <laughs> you say, you, it's going to take more than 15 minutes. Honey, I'd do it in three. I'd, I'd clear it off. Amen. <laughs> if I were God, it's a good thing I ain't, right? All these murders, man, just get rid of them. But see, if I were God and I did that, there, there wouldn't be a book of Hebrews because I would have gotten rid of the murderer who wrote the book of Hebrews named Paul. You see, my logic is not God's logic. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Amen. And so what we've got to understand is that when my feet are in a place, God has ordered them if I'm following. Let me put the caveat in there. If I'm following him, then my feet are where he has directed them to be. That's why Paul would say, brethren, I have learned that whatsoever state I am in, there I will be content. Now, if you're not following then you're going to be miserable where your feet are. And that's by design. It's an incentive to get you back on the path. If you could just walk anywhere you wanted to and be living, and just be all right with God, well, then serving God would be easy. But sometimes serving God's not easy because the Bible says broad is the road that leads to destruction. On the broad road, you can walk any old way you want to walk. But narrow is the way to God, and few there, few there be that find it. So when you're on the narrow road, you can't just be walking all over the place. you got to walk in a specific direction, in a specific cadence, at a specific time, and there's times to rest and there's times to move. On the broad way, you can do anything you want to do. Amen. Praise God. Does this make sense tonight? So I'm, 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 I'm going to be getting deeper. You're, you're just kind of getting the first little bit of this. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the first bit of the blueprint to have absolute victory in, in living for God. And it starts with learning my position. I, I am called of God. How many in this place says I'm saved and I know I'm saved? 
okay, then, then I'm, on, I'm in right relation with God. I'm going to be where my feet are. If I'm living right and praying, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm going to be where my feet are. Not going to look to the right. David almost backslid doing that. Some of y'all think I'm being hard and being mean about zapping people. That's David said, and I paraphrase, if I could, I'd lay behind every rock with a spear and I'd sling it through the heart of every unrighteous person. And he did from time to time. He was a murderer too. The Bible said, uh, David declared, when I looked at the wealth of the unrighteous, when I looked at the increase and the blessing and the wealth of the unbeliever, the heathen, the wicked. Here's what David said. He said, my foot almost slipped. Why? Because he wasn't where his feet were. He was looking at the wicked. I'm going to tell you something. My feet almost slip when I look at the wickedness around us. Amen. I was, um, of course, I was laid up two weeks with vertigo and then this last week sick. And <clears throat> seeing all this stuff coming out, it's just wickedness. All this wickedness. The grooming of our children. You want to get me hurt a kid? I'm going to tell you right now. I, I, can't, I can't put my mind around that. They got these pride festivals. Have you? Don't go Google it. If you've got a decent filter on your computer, you won't be able to see most of it. They got children, little children. I, I, I was on uh, Twitter today and, and uh, saw that they had posted uh, one of these pride uh, things and it was specifically said for children of all ages, for families, bring your children. And, and uh, this one was on a mil I think it was a military base. It was sponsored by the military. And it was drag queens. And one of the drag queens picked up a four-year-old boy and put him on top of a table and had that little boy doing sexual gyrations while people were throwing money at that kid. That's wicked. My foot almost slips. So does my trigger finger. Amen. <laughs> they were in New York City, Washington Park, beautiful Washington Park. Grown men dancing nude. Little bitty children right there watching it. It's wicked. It's wicked. I want to say something. I don't get into politics, but I'm going to tell you right I don't think we've ever seen a more inept and more wicked administration than is running this nation right now. They are the most wicked people to ever inhabit the White House. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, if, if, you don't have to agree with me on it, but if you can't at least see it, you need to get your spiritual head examined. They are forcing it on our children. They don't care about you. They don't care whether you accept it or not. That's why they're pushing it in the schools. And I'm going to tell you something. If we're not careful, our foot will slip. And we'll take our eye off the ball. And the devil knows what he's doing. And he'll get the church so distracted with those perverts and freaks running this country that we'll forget to reach the lost in our city. We'll get so agenda-driven in the church that will stop being mission focused. Doesn't mean I can't have an opinion. I got them. But I also got to keep my feet under me. Hallelujah. Pastor, how do we fight it? On our knees. Pastor, how, how do we stop this wickedness? Start reaching the sinners. Converting the lost discipling them because if they're discipled, they're not going to go with that. 
I'll tell you what we need. We need a, we need a, a revival in our education system in America. And it needs to start with our teachers. Our teachers union need a baptism of the Holy Ghost. They need to be saved. Amen. They're pushing this stuff. I can't let my foot slip. I gotta be where I'm at. What is God calling me to do in this hour? Is God calling me to show up with a cardboard sign and a wooden stick to protest everything? Or is God calling me to change the world one soul at a time? Because if I'm going to have victory, i got to get my eye off the wicked. We used to sing living below in this old sinful world. Hardly a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to save me in the end. Tell me where could I go? But to the Lord. Where could I go or where could I go? Seeking a refuge for my soul. Needing a friend to save me in the end. Tell me where could I go? But to the Lord. I gotta keep my focus on the kingdom. I gotta be where my feet are. This country's going to hell in a hand. It's been going to hell in a handbasket since 1776. The only difference is now they put lighter fluid on it and they're striking the match. But I'm not going to give up hope. Because as long as the trumpet hadn't sounded and there's a church on this earth, there is hope for Woodland, California. There's hope for Yolo County. There's hope for your family and my family. I'm going to be where my feet are. And I'm going to reach the lost. I'm going to get somebody to the house of God on Sunday. I'm going to be as enthusiastic about getting people in the church as these teachers and politicians are to grooming our children. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force it was not a call to physical action what Jesus was making was a paralytic statement he was saying this to the equivalent of intensity that the violence attacks with in other words you fight fire with fire Amen. don't bring a knife to a gunfight as my grandpa would say never use a small caliber gun on a big caliber man you better show up equipped to do the right thing at the right time if hell's going after our children guess what we ought to be doing we ought to be going after our children with righteousness you see wickedness cannot overcome righteousness but righteousness can overcome wickedness fire cannot overcome water but water can overcome fire it's a one way fight baby (laughs) we're going to win this thing all we got to do is rise up. That's all we got to do. You want victory? Be in the moment. Be in the present. In what God is calling you into. In this moment. Hallelujah. Don't be in a hurry. Be patient. God's still working on you. Stand with me. We used to sing an old song. When I was a kid, well, it wasn't an old song, it was a new song when I was a kid. But we used to sing this song by the Hemp Hills said, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. 
Then the song says, oh, how loving and how patient he must be because he's still working on me. You're a work in progress. Hey, I got construction tape and orange cones all around me because he's still working on me. He's not finished with me. I'm not, look at somebody and tell them, I'm not a finished product. Come on, tell them, I'm not a finished product. He's, he's still, he's still got me on the potter's wheel. He's still molding me and he's still making me. I love the Lord, Brother Nate, but I'm still going to have bad days. I love the Lord, Brother Alonzo, but I'm still going to have a wrong attitude sometimes. Sister Lupe, I'm going to say the wrong thing sometimes. I'm not going to mean to do it. Hallelujah. Rather than throw in the towel and be frustrated, I'll just look down and go, oh, I'm here. I'm not where I was. Not where I'm going but I am where he wants me to be. Hallelujah. I can have victory in that. I can have victory in that. Not perfect. Not perfect, but he's working on me. process I'm in. Remember, God cares about process. You've heard me say that a million times. He cares more about process. Because the process, if it's if you shortcut the process, you're going to wreck the product. That's why my wife don't let me put anything together in the house. I'm not allowed to put together bookshelves or furniture. You want to know why? I don't got patience for it. They said, put in that little screw there, and, and it's not the right screw. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever put that junk together from Walmart or Ikea and stuff like that? I'm going to tell you, the devil himself makes that stuff. He, 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 I'm telling you, he, he makes that stuff to test the patience of the saints of the Most High God. Because stuff don't fit. They don't ever give you enough parts. They don't ever bore out the hole big enough. So I get mad. I'm telling you, I get frustrated. I do. I just, directions, who needs them? And my bookshelves end up with duct tape and glue. Big old screws hanging out the side and bolts and washers and nuts. I had to go down to Ace Hardware to get. It's ugly, but it'll hold. See, the process matters. If we follow the blueprint, if we do what it says, no matter how frustrating it is, the Bible says, in patience, possess you your soul. Say that with me. In patience, possess you your soul. In other words, your soul, you'll have control of it through patience. It ain't fun. But do you want to have absolute victory? Better learn to have patience. Paul said, think it not strange. Think it not strange, the fiery darts that are sent to try thee. In other words, don't freak out and go, where did this come from? It's supposed to happen. Just look down and say, oh, I must be where God wants me to be. Or hell wouldn't be fighting me. Because if I was out of place, he wouldn't waste time with me. You in a struggle right now? You battling some things right now? Extend your right hand if you would. Just extend it. I'm shaking every hand in this place. Congratulations. If you're in a struggle right now, congratulations. Because the enemy knows you're right where God wants you to be. And that's why he's fighting you. Amen. Amen. I want you to.
you to come to the front. And you're gonna, you may have to fight your way down here. There's so many people. You may get crowded. If you're at home watching online or you're in the hotel or you're driving down the road on vacation, I, I want you to take a moment right now because God, God is moving in this place right now. I want you to hear me right now. Let, let, let me do this. And if you're at home, I want you to participate. And I want you to do this because, and there's a reason I want you to actively participate. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand or not raise your hand. And I want you against all pride and reservation to do this if it applies to you. How many are frustrated with yourself? Raise your hand. All right. You must have flesh. How many is still not everything God wants you to be? That's why we're here. Now I want you to say this to yourself every day. Just because I'm frustrated with me doesn't mean God is. Job said he knows the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth pure gold he didn't say when the devil's tried me he said when God has tried me I shall come forth pure as gold don't frustrate yourself just look down where your feet are and go I'm saved I pray I read my Bible I live for God I must be where God wants me that's why the enemy's fighting I may be frustrated with me, but there's one who isn't. And he's the God of absolute victory. I want you to just take a moment and lift your hands to heaven right now. And I don't want you to ask God for anything. I just want you to thank him for his patience. Come on, for his loving kindness and his tender mercies. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight. I thank you, Lord, tonight for your patience for your kindness, for your compassion, for your love. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us and you have chosen us and you have destined and ordained us, oh God. I thank you, Lord, that we are where you have called us to be. No, we're not everything that you want us to be. We've not arrived. We have not reached perfection, but Lord, we are reaching for it. I pray, Lord, that there would be great consolation in this place, God. Not consolation of laziness or sin or malice, but, Lord, consolation of those that are striving, Lord, to be more like you. Those that are striving daily. Those that are falling but getting back up. Those that are reaching for that perfection. Lord, I pray that you would console them right now. and I pray that you would strengthen them right now. I pray they would feel your gentle and firm hand upon their shoulder, Lord, as affirmation that you know the way they take. You know where they are. Lord, that they are following the path that you have called them to. And sometimes it's a path of resistance and trial and struggle sometimes it's sickness and lack and it's opposition and oppression but Lord I thank you tonight that you've given us the peace Lord that you've given us the peace that we could withstand that you have given us the grace that we can endure that you've given us oh God the power of your spirit that we can overcome and I thank you Lord because you are calling us to walk in absolute victory Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that victory is not an abstract. I thank you, Lord, that victory is not just beyond my fingertips, but I'll never be able to hold it. But victory is something that you will give us daily to be present in. I thank you for it, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you just give him a hand clap of praise as you worship him right now?
Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.